All right, now open your Bibles to Romans uh, chapter 8. And um, maybe if you opened your worship folder uh, already, uh, you saw the outline there. And um, the outline depressed you. Because you said, look at all of those blanks. Uh, Well, I've got some uh, good news for you that will lift the spirit of depression perhaps. I'm only preaching the first point this morning, okay? And this will, will be a series within the series, but there's just no way I could cover everything I want to cover uh, with you in, um, in one message. So we'll be looking at this for the next couple of weeks. And uh, I want to talk with you in this series, um, The Victorious Christian. I want to talk to you about victory over discouragement or despair, despondency, or depression. And, um, you know, these are the kinds of things that as Christians, sometimes we don't talk about very much because we, we want people to think we got it all together or sometimes maybe we're embarrassed or, or some people have even tried to lead us to believe that if you battle with discouragement or depression that you can't be spiritual or you're not walking by faith or all of those kinds of things. And so it's one of those things that often many, many believers battle and yet they, they don't know how to respond to it. Uh, as a Christian. And I hope that uh, the next couple of weeks I can help you with. Now look, I, I, I understand this more than you may think because I have battled this myself. And not too many preachers that haven't, to be honest, and especially in the last couple of years. Uh, but um, I know I, I have seasons. I've had seasons. And uh, I've told and shared that with our staff before. I know when the season comes. In my case, most of the time, it is a spiritual war. Uh, but uh, for many other people, it may be a combination. Spiritual war could be clinical because of, um, of your, your body system. I'll talk about that. Our bodies are broken in this world, and sometimes we need help, you know, and I'll talk about that just a little bit. But uh, at any rate, so I'm not, I'm not a theoretician. I'm a practitioner. Let me just say it that way. Uh, these seasons, uh, I know. I understand them. I know what to do. And uh, when it comes, I know when it comes, and I know what to do, and I, I know how to get through them. Uh, but sometimes um, uh, we're afraid to say, yeah, I've, I've walked this road, or I've had this season. Or there are some of you watching us on television or live stream. There are some of you sitting in this building this morning, and you're battling with discouragement and depression, and, um, and you're not sure what to do. And and by the way, people say, well, you know, I'm on medication and everything. I've never had to use medication, but I will tell you this, I don't have a problem with medication. I think God gave us medication. And I say, thank you, Jesus. Now, get the right stuff, you know, because the wrong stuff, and don't, don't, don't abuse the stuff you get, but I think that's, uh, there are times when we need those kinds of things, and... Um, and I don't think you have to be ashamed of that. I've had Christians say, well, if I'm taking medication to help, take, uh, uh, help me uh, uh, take some edge off of some things, is that a lack of faith? I don't think it's a lack of faith at all. It may be an expression of faith. God, I trust you that you've given us medicine, and medicine uh, is helpful. So I want you to know that right up front. And some, um, some godly uh, uh, people through the years have also said, thank God for the medicine. Uh, so... Uh, turn to Jesus always. You can't get through this, I don't believe, right without Jesus. But does that make sense? But don't be ashamed or embarrassed if you need, if you need medication, if you're in conjunction with your doctor. Now, don't use other substances to medicate. Do you all understand what I'm saying? And a lot of people do that. 
uh, they try to medicate their, uh, their discouragement or their depression with uh, substances that actually end up doing more harm. But so at any rate, I just kind of want to say that front. So I don't want anybody in here saying, well, I don't want to seem unspiritual because, uh, you know, uh, my doctor has uh, prescribed some medication. I don't think there's any problem with that at all. Uh, so uh, there are few people, honestly, that can say they've never battled with discouragement or uh, despair or depression. In fact, I'll be honest, I don't think I've ever met somebody uh, who has never had some kind of encounter with it. There may be many people that don't have a, a battle as such, but I'm not sure there are uh, any people that have never uh, had to face discouragement or despair or uh, maybe even depression. I'm finishing a book right now by Elizabeth Scogland uh, entitled Bright Days and Dark Nights with Charles Spurgeon. I love Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon is considered probably the greatest preacher in the era since the New Testament church. I, that's what I think. He'd be in the top five or six, most likely. But a lot of people don't know that Spurgeon battled with uh, depression and discouragement uh, most of his life. And this is a book about that. I've had other, there are a few books written about that because it was so pronounced in his life. And he didn't shy away from talking about it, but he battled it all his life. And think about this, again, one of the greatest preachers that has ever lived. Uh, he had uh, thousands upon thousands of people that would come and hear him preach when he was a teenager. He was that, he was that profound and he was a godly man, but uh, he had these dark uh, seasons that he would have to battle through. And in the book uh, that Elizabeth Scogland uh, writes, she quotes Spurgeon, and this is what he said. Remember that even after you are secure in Christ and accepted before God and clothed in Jesus' righteousness, you may still sometimes get despondent. Christian men are but men. And they may have a bad liver or an attack of bile or some trial, and then they uh, uh, get depressed. Uh, he, you know, he's saying there may be some physiological reason that they get depressed. But then he says this, listen, he says, I am the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. But I always get back again by this. I know I trust Christ. I have no reliance but in Him. If He falls, I shall fall with Him. But if He does not, I will not. You see, in the end, you, you and I, we've got to have Christ to take us through these things victoriously. C.S. Lewis. Do you know the name C.S. Lewis? Uh, uh, probably a number of you do in this audience. He's one of the great literary minds of history. He wrote some books that you all should read if you haven't read C.S. Lewis, uh, The Problem with Pain, where he talks about suffering and difficulty, Mere Christianity, which is an apologetics kind of book about why uh, we should follow Christ, The Screwtape Letters, if you want something that's kind of, of entertaining but based on some biblical uh, truth. Uh, it's about how uh, uh, this senior demon is training younger demons and to attack Christians and uh, it's an interesting kind of approach. C.S. Lewis, uh, this godly uh, leader, a great uh, literary, uh, Christian literary genius, battled depression. He battled it severely. And his discouragement and depression, he said, was mostly tied to his fear of poverty. 
By the way, Charles Spurgeon also said much of his depression was tied to his fear of, pro, uh, of uh, poverty, among uh, other things. J.B. Phillips, um, don't know if you know that name. You may have seen what's called the Phillips translation of the Bible. It's phenomenal. And uh, J.B. Phillips, a great a godly man um, and uh, a preacher, uh, Bible translator, but he battled discouragement and depression uh, on a very significant scale. And he attributed most of his to two things. Phillips said it was usually because of burnout. He had run himself to exhaustion and spiritual warfare, spiritual uh, attack. Um, when I have battled it, and again, it's not clinical. Um, I, it is, mine is mostly a spiritual assault and a spiritual warfare. But Philip said his tend to be burnout and spiritual warfare. And on one occasion, he wrote these words. Listen, Philip said, The hardest thing of all to bear is what I can only describe as a nameless mental pain, which is, as far as I know, beyond the reach of any... <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, beyond the reach, I knew that was coming. Do you ever have that and you know it's coming and you're just saying, let me get through this? But I didn't. I probably need to start that quote over. <laughs> oh, man, that's depressing. No. On one occasion, this is what Phillips wrote. He said, and I quote, The hardest thing of all to bear is what I can only describe as a nameless mental pain which is, as far as I know, beyond the reach, he's saying in his case, of any drug and which I have tried in vain to describe to anyone. I talked with a man this week who didn't know that this, is, this message and these messages, just, this is where they happen to fall in this series that I'm doing. And he had no idea, and I had no idea where he was, but a man whom uh, called this week, and he's, he's in a dark place loves God, and is doing the right things, and, and will come through it. But um, he was, um, he called his, or I called him hearing about his, and I said, listen, I'm preaching on this subject Sunday. He said, I'll be, you, I'll be watching. And, um, and, but he talked about, he, he talked about this, he said, I don't know how to describe it, but he said, Unless a person's been through it, they don't understand it. They don't, he said, it's kind of nameless. Well, just like J.B. Phillips said, it's hard to understand if you've never experienced uh, that. St. John the Divine called it the dark night of soul. But then did you know Billy Graham struggled with it from time to time? In fact, listen to this. Billy Graham said, the Christian life is not a constant high. I have my moments of deep discouragement. Think about that, Billy Graham. I have to go to God in prayer with tears in my eyes and say, Oh, God, forgive me, or God, help me. Wow. Study after study has revealed that COVID has caused a rise in depression among uh, young adults, all adults on some level, and especially among children. As I was working on this message, I did some research on some of these studies, and there's so many studies showing this that I, I don't have time to just tell you, this study said this, this study said this. I mean, they're just, it's voluminous, the number of studies. And here's what they're saying. There is a, a, a significant rise in depression among children and among uh, millennials. If you're a millennial, they, they said specifically in children and millennial. And then, of course, in other categories, too. 
And um, they tied it to COVID, that COVID and lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. But now they're starting to extend the study to say what's going on in the culture around us, uh, the prospects of war, the economy, and all of these kinds of things. NBC News reported, and this is a quote, major depression is on the rise among Americans of all age groups. And then while uh, depression or discouragement, as one study said, is epidemic, epidemic, they, they went on to say, but it's not new. It's been around. You can see it, of course, in Scripture. In fact, you can find the lives of some great Bible characters that battled it. Elijah in the cave. In Kings, the book of Kings. If you don't know that story, you, you need to read it or go back and get I've preached that passage uh, several times over the years. And Elijah, one of the, the great, one of the great leaders of all time in the kingdom of God, got depressed and went set in a cave uh, hiding out from wicked queen Jezebel who said she was going to kill him because he uh, undid all the pagan religion of that day. And Elijah gets depressed. He runs, by the way, exhausted himself. He ran for miles, probably over 50 miles, two marathons, sat down in a cave and said, God, take my life. I'm the only one left. Nobody cares. He was in that kind of despair. God didn't hear his prayer. Aren't you glad God doesn't hear our prayers all the time? Well, no, let me rephrase that. He doesn't answer them according to our request, right? And God didn't, but God sent uh, help to Elijah, Elijah in the cave said, you're not alone. There are thousands more who haven't bent the knee. Then there, of course, was John the Baptist. Did you know most likely John the Baptist battled with discouragement and despair? We see him in prison. He's sitting in a prison cell because he'd been preaching for the gospel, preaching the gospel and preaching about Jesus being the Messiah. And he got discouraged because he got thrown in jail. And he calls the disciples to him and says, listen, is Jesus the real deal or do we look for somebody else? You can see it if you go and read the story. You can see his despair and discouragement. Maybe I missed on this, and he's in despair. He's in prison. Or then there's David in Psalm 42. Psalm 42, I preached on that before, is a, a great, if you're battling this, go read Psalm 42. And uh, David is talking about his own battle with despair and discouragement and depression. And he, he talks to himself as he's talking to the Lord uh, about it, and we're, the scholars tell us that Psalm 42 is about David's despair because his own son Absalom is trying to track him down and kill him. That would depress you, wouldn't it? And then we see how he responds to it. So, so listen, if you are in that battle or have been in that battle, uh, the good news is it's not new, and some of the great uh, uh, leaders and some of the great saints of God's Word have battled it. And so uh, here's what I, why I say that. That means there's hope uh, for you if you battle this too. Well, the Bible, though, takes it a step further. It doesn't just reveal these stories about men and men, women who battled these things. It also gives us a pathway to victory. And this series is about victory. And I, so uh, I'm going to preach the first point this morning, which is causes of, of discouragement or despair or depression. You fill it in however you want to. But I want you to look at this passage in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8. If you're physically able to do so, stand with me as we read, beginning in verse 31 of chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed, or who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors, victorious Christians. Through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, would you take your word now? Would you give us uh, help and aid? Would you encourage the discouraged? Father, would you uh, teach those who are ignorant of, of what to do? Father, would you transform those who do not know you? And Father, would you um, encourage those who need your touch upon their life? Speak now through your word to us by your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Romans 8 is considered one of the greatest chapters in all of the Scripture. And the book of Romans is considered... uh, for the most part, the most theologically sound book in all of uh, the Scriptures. So there's great theology in this book. And the portion of this chapter we just read is actually kind of Paul uh, wrapping up some discussion that he's been, been uh, uh, pursuing based on things like persecution and suffering and, uh, and weakness and finding our hope and our help Uh, through these uh, things because of the redemption that is ours in Christ and because of the love of God that has been extended to us. And he's writing to some Christians that are struggling. They're fledgling. Uh, It's the fledgling church, first century church in Rome. And uh, he starts off in in the first chapter and he affirms them because he says, your faith has been known throughout the world. So they had, they had this fledgling group of believers who were at the precipice of having to go underground completely with the church he says look your faith has been made known everybody knows of your faith but when you get to chapter 8 you see him dealing with their discouragement even though their faith was strong these were discouraged people and that's why Romans 8 becomes so significant you know we often quote verse 28 for we know that all things work together for good to those who uh, uh, know Christ and are uh, called according to his purpose We always quote that, but do you realize the context of that points us back to the fact that they were trying to make sense out of all the pains that were going on, and Paul's trying to encourage them and help them understand how to ground themselves in the truth. And so you go back to chapter 1, he says, your faith is great. In fact, he says in chapter 1, he says, "Uh, I'm looking for an opportunity to come and visit you. And do you know why he wants to come and visit them? He says, so that, that... Uh, I can encourage you in your faith, but also that you can encourage me. I thought that's a kind way of him saying, I need to come there and encourage you, but I need the encouragement of your faith uh, most certainly. So he writes to them to try to, to, uh, 
to give them some foundation to stand on in the midst of all that was going on. They are battling some kinds of persecution. It's isolated, but what's coming is beyond their belief. Uh, Nero will eventually begin to extract uh, persecution in an unprecedented historical way and maybe as bad as any that has ever been thrust upon Christians. So he's grounding them, and by extension, he is grounding us in these truths of God regarding anything and everything that we face between here and eternity. Now, maybe like these Romans, you're discouraged or you're depressed or or despondent or in despair a little bit today. I want you to know that there are thousands of people out there today, thousands upon thousands, that have fought and found refuge in the storms. Uh, They've found refuge in the dark nights and in their discouraging circumstances. And that's that's the good news for us is that there is a pathway to victory. Don't believe the lies of the enemy that says if you're battling discouragement, despair, you're depressed, that there's no way out. And when you are in a t- season of depression, it can feel like there is no, there's no way out, that it just is a vicious kind of spiral. Through the ages, countless men and women have faced discouragement, and they face it with faith in Christ Jesus. And now I believe more than ever in history is a time for you and I to turn our hearts and our faces toward God. I think uh, if you're going to be victorious, you're going to have to turn your eyes, set your eyes on heaven. You're going to have to turn your, the, the, the gospel says this, lift up your eyes, your redemption draws nigh. You know, the Bible says as the end of the age approaches us, it's going to get darker and darker. Men's hearts will grow colder and colder, it says. That's why it's all the more important that you and I make sure, because there's a lot to discourage you, right? I mean, do you ever just feel like sometimes I'm just going to turn off the television? I'm going to turn off the radio. I'm going to stop reading anything because every time I read something right now, it just discourages me. That's why we don't don't build our life on that stuff. We build our life. we, We sing about faithfulness today. We build our life on the faithfulness of God. So we have to turn our eyes. We have to turn our faces to Him. And I think now more than ever before. And so... Paul shares uh, in Romans some truths that will help us do that, and I want to share those with you this morning. The first thing in this series that I'm going to talk about is what are the causes of discouragement? The causes of discouragement. I think we see that in in verses 33 to 35, and over the next uh, uh, few weeks, I'm I'm going to reference Charles Spurgeon a good bit, and the reason I'm going to is because he was so open about his battle there, and he was such a godly influence uh, at, in that era that he lived, and uh, he was so outspoken that he gives us some actual insights that help us. So you'll hear me quoting Spurgeon uh, uh, several times in the next uh, couple of weeks. But, uh, but he was asked, what causes the dark clouds? Well, Spurgeon made clear that there were physical factors mixed in with psychological factors and spiritual factors. In other words, we're not just a one something. We're not just a body. We're, God has made us with this connectionalism between body, uh, mind, and soul. And all of those things work together. And Spurgeon was saying sometimes the, the discouragement of the depression was a result of, of all of those things conspiring together. I learned years ago, and I don't have time to talk much about it today, but I learned years ago that we had those three kinds of tanks. 
And those tanks are to be balanced. And if they're not balanced, one tank starts surviving off the other tank. It starts pulling uh, resources. So uh, you've got to have rest. You've got to eat right. You've got to... Uh, uh, um, you got to have the right kind of relational circles. you got all kinds of things like that because if you don't, and then obviously, and most importantly, the spiritual tank has to be healthy because you're going to rob those tanks. And eventually, you just, you, you'll empty a tank if you don't know how to refill the tanks. Maybe I ought to preach that message sometime, how, to, how do you refill the tanks. But, but at any rate, so Spurgeon says that he understood that sometimes it could be a combination of physiological problems, psychological issues that you're battling with, traumas, or that sort of thing. And sometimes uh, it can be spiritual associated with all of that. And think about this. In the days of Spurgeon's greatest preaching in the Metropolitan Tabernacle, Spurgeon was often in such despair and depression that he considered quitting because he felt that his illness, and he called it an illness, his battle with depression, uh, kept him too often from the pulpit. In other words, because sometimes he would be in such despair that he couldn't preach and he thought he was disqualifying himself uh, from the, at, at its peak. And by the way, I told you, he preached to thousands upon thousands from his early ministry on. But one of the things that exacerbated his battle with uh, discouragement and depression was uh, an incident that occurred at, at, or early in his ministry, actually, when these crowds, they had to keep moving and changing venues for uh, the early years because the crowds were just so massive. I mean, 10,000, uh, uh, which is unheard of today, but he'd have 10,000 people uh, trying to crowd in places to hear him, and he, even more, they kept moving. Well, on one occasion, they had, the venue was packed. The balcony was packed. The people were lined up around the walls. Everywhere you could be, were, it was packed. And somebody who uh, didn't like Spurgeon in the crowd stood up at, in, in the middle of his message and went, Fire! And they didn't have, in, the, in those days, they didn't have some of the modern exiting technologies that we use and that sort of stuff. But, it, but you can imagine thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people suddenly jumping up and panicking, trying to get out of the building. And several people were trampled to death. Spurgeon never got over it the rest of his life and the rest of his ministry. And there are some who say, and by the way, he died a relatively young man by today's standards. Uh, and many believe that that incident was part of the thing that took that battle with depression to a whole new level and that he, uh, he, never, he never quite came through that. So he said it could be, uh, it could be a number of things uh, conspiring together. Um, now, there are many things that I think discourage us and can lead us into these seasons of, of kind of the dark night of soul, as St. John the Divine called it. But I'm not going to, my goal is not to name all the things, you know, and discuss all of them. There's just too many. I mean, they can include everything from physical issues like fatigue and diet and stress to emotional issues like traumatic events in your life and accidents or those sorts of to spiritual issues like direct spiritual warfare. Sin can, can lead to it and failures. But what I do want to do is I want to give you, in this message, I want to give you three what I call categories. And these three categories 
Uh, and don't hold me to this precisely, but these three categories I think we see out of the passage. But most things that cause depression can find its, its, its place under one of these categories. Okay, does that make sense? So I, I just want to give you broad categories. So here's the first one. The first is found in verse 33, and it is accusations. This can be a cause, a significant cause of depression uh, in our life. Look at verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? The expression bring any charge is a, is a, a legal term, and by implication, what Paul is talking about is who can bring any false charge against God's people? These false accusations. Now, was that a reality then? The answer is yes, it was a reality. And have you ever been falsely accused about something or falsely represented about something? I, I, bet, I bet most everybody here and probably most people watching us have had somebody falsely accuse them. I've had it happen many times in, in my life. You can't do ministry and public ministry without having, having false accusations on some point in time. But I bet you've had that before. And if you have, you know the sting of that, right? Because most of the time when you are not uh, uh, fairly represented or you're falsely accused, you don't get to defend yourself, right? Sometimes maybe you shouldn't. R.T. Kendall, one of my favorite uh, authors, says that we should never defend ourselves. Let God be our defense and just keep our mouth shut. I have tried to operate by that, but I have failed to do that. Uh, and, I, and I differ with him on that. I think there's a time for you to speak out, but I think it needs to be God it needs to be God-prompted, and you need to understand. Well, that's another sermon, too. Um, so, uh, but at any rate, uh, all of us have been there, but these Christians were being falsely accused. Now, they were on, on two levels. They were being falsely accused by the Roman uh, uh, Empire. The, uh, they were being uh, brought into court. They were having uh, to stand before the Roman, Roman tribunals, and uh, they were being accused of things that weren't true. Now, why would that happen? Well, the first century was a lot like the 21st century, and that is uh, 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 the church, the early church, was not liked by the rest of the culture. And do you know why? Because the rest of the culture, the first century culture, was so pagan and perverted. And the church was the only place, the only institution in the first century culture that said God has some boundaries. Well, guess what? Welcome to the 21st century. That, that's why the church is increasingly being maligned and misrepresented. And by extension, that's why a lot of Christians have become very timid about saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, because the stigma of that, oh yeah, you guys are the problem because you're so narrow-minded, you're bigots, that sort of stuff. That was going on in the first century. And so the difference was the culture was uh, 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 significantly more hostile. Ours is growing hostile because the church, the church of Jesus Christ is the last bastion that says there are, there are boundaries. There's right and there's wrong. And so because of that, eventually, the, the church, uh, I believe, in the 21st century will become the enemy of the state. I think we see the seeds of that. Okay, so that's what's going on. So they're being, but they're being taken to court. Uh, we've had Christians taken to court uh, in the last uh, five, six years because of their refusal, their, their uh, biblical stance on issues and matters of culture. Well, this was happening frequently. And, you know, after a while, it was beating them down. They were being accused. They couldn't really defend themselves. It was kind of this thing. They would be brought to the tribunals, and they were guilty. They had to be proven. Uh, they weren't uh, innocent until proven guilty. They were guilty until proven innocent. 
And so they're living under that. But not only are they being um, um, uh, falsely accused there, there's another place where accusations are going on. And let me tell you something. This place, there are accusations being made about you as well. It's before the tribunal of God. I don't know if you noticed, it says, And Jesus Christ, who, who will condemn you? It says, no one will condemn you in Christ. That's what he's saying. Because, and he says, Jesus died for our sins. And he says, but he didn't just stop there. He, was risen, uh, he, he rose from the grave. And then he now is by the right hand of the Father. Did you notice that? Making intercession for you and for me, for uh, us as his children. So here's the picture. Paul talks about it uh, further in Ephesians where he talks about cursed is everyone who's uh, on a tree. And, uh, but here's the picture is before God, there's, there's this council, so to speak, and um, the devil is accusing us. The Bible says in Revelation, he's the accuser of the brethren. And so, he, and so the, the answer from uh, Christ is, nope, I paid for them. I paid for Ray's sin. I paid for Chuck's sin. I paid for their sin. I, I paid for their sin. There's, but the devil continues to accuse and accuse and accuse. And that's the picture here. That he paints. So there's two accusations going on. There's the accusations uh, of the world toward these believers, uh, and they it, it, it had caused them to lose heart. They were discouraged. And there's the accusations of the enemy of our soul before God. And uh, these accusations were certainly a factor, and they are a factor. Sometimes somebody gives a bad report about you or bad mouths you, and you know they tell us it only takes it only takes one negative comment about us to send us into a tailspin. In fact, they tell us this: for every negative thing that's said about you, it takes twenty positive things uh, to to move you past that. Isn't that that's probably about true, isn't it? And the devil uses that, these kinds of accusations. Well, Spurgeon battled with uh, depression uh, sometimes because of uh, the uh, attacks upon him. In fact, in 1879, in another book, uh, Spurgeon wrote and said, Men cannot say anything worse of me than they have said. I have been belied from head to foot and misrepresented to the last degree. My good looks are gone and none can damage me much now. That's what he said. He said, man, there's not much more you can say to malign me. And he was. He was hammered, by the way, by many of those who claimed to be Christians attacked him. Probably more so, he was more represented by Christians than he was by the world around him. Isn't that interesting? So discouragement is frequently the result, listen, of listening to lies, hearing the lies, the misrepresentations, the character attacks, and they can send you into a tailspin. So the Bible tells us we are to guard our heart, but it also talks about our ears and our mind. We have to put a guard there uh, and be careful what we listen to. The devil is the accuser of the brethren, and he will, he will attack your mind, he will attack your heart, he will attack your emotions, and he'll use words from other people, accusations from others to discourage and defeat you. And I bet you can say in your heart, yep, that's true. I've had many bouts with discouragement because of what somebody said about me. All right, you got that? That's number one. Number two is tribulations. He says in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation. Now he's going to give us a list uh, in just a moment, but this is talking about discouragement that results from the worst of uh, of life circumstances. They are the things that assault us because we live in a broken world. 
Paul does not give us this all-inclusive list here, but he does speak of some matters uh, that help contribute to this kind of uh, a sense of despair. He starts off with tribulation, as I said, and this is kind of, if you'll allow me to say this, this is a catch-all kind of, of statement. The word tribulation here actually means trouble that involves direct suffering. And so, in other words, when Paul starts to show tribulation, uh, in, in other words, he's saying anything that creates great pain. Um, and I, I, he starts here to say, because I'm about to name some things, if I don't name the thing you think I ought to name, put it under tribulation. Tribulation is kind of the catch-all. Tribulation means the things that bring up pain and suffering into our life. And so he starts there. And then he mentions distress. Did you see that? What does that mean? Well, that means anguish. It means strain. It means anxiety and insecurity. Uh, and, and, and so, listen, do you know uh, he's saying we can't be separated from God even when we're under great stress or anxiety? But it may feel like it, right? By the way, the thing about discouragement, depression, stress, all that, that sort of, <clears throat> when those seasons come in your life, you have to be careful that you do not let your feelings take control of you. That's easier said than done. Your feelings are so powerful. That's why you, your life has to be ordered by truth and not by feelings. So I'm talking to a guy this week who's in this, this uh, dark space, and, um, and he's doing the right things. He's reading the Scripture. He's doing the right things. He's been in consultation with his doctor and all of those things. But I'm sharing some things. He says, yeah, how do you know that? How, that's right. That's how. I said, because I've been there. But here's what I've learned and I have to remind myself of. Don't rely on your feelings. Don't rely on your feelings when you're in those seasons because your feelings are not reliable. That's the whole reason you're in that season. Does that make sense? Because your feelings generally have taken control, whether it's physiological or psychological or, or emotional and spiritual. Your feelings have taken over. And so, uh, so understand that. Then he uses the word persecution. That means ridicule or abuse, mocking, mistreatment, neglect, harassment, attack, and it can and does sometimes lead to physical kinds of injury, persecution. Uh, he lists there in this thing of saying, don't let these things, famine means starvation. Or no secure way to have food is what the word there means. By the way, did you know our government recently said that we, we should consider the possibility that there might be famine in this land right here? Think about baby formula. By the way, how do you not see that coming? I, I mean, so, uh, so insecurity based on, uh, will I have food? Uh, uh, um, I, I can't, he, he says, uh, famine, nakedness. What does that mean? Well, it means more than not wearing clothes. It means to be stripped of clothes, but more specifically, stripped of earthly comforts, lacking earthly possessions and earthly essentials. Then he says danger. This means being exposed to fearful and dangerous risks, the, the most terrible dangers to one's body and mind and soul, property, family, loved ones, danger. And then sword. This means literally to be killed for your faith, to be, become a martyr. Now, sometimes these kinds of circumstances seem to have no end. 
right? It's just one after another. And did you notice something about that list of things he gave? Did you notice something? All of those relate to the physical world, to your physical life. He didn't even get into the spirit. Why do you think that is? Well, it is because, you know, when you are most vulnerable to discouragement is when the physical world that you live in starts to take shots or, or isn't working right. And, and a lot of times we think, well, I'm a, it, must be a, it must be something wrong with me and God. I'm discouraged and, and, and all these physical things are, are happening uh, around me. They're all physical. Why? Because we live too much of our life in the flesh, and they did too, and it's hard not to, right? But, uh, and by the way, have you noticed nobody ever preaches on the fact that uh, in this world you will have tribulation? Jesus said that. Nobody ever, they preach, oh, listen, if you're, if you're right with God, it's all going to go well. And you're going to be well. There's not going to be any issues or anything like that. By the way, they never preach on the passage where Paul said, I've learned to be content in all things. Now, they may reference it and say, well, we need to be content in all things. But they don't reference the context. By the way, they don't reference the context. Philippians 4.13, which is a part of that where, where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you know what the context of that passage is? Suffering and persecution. Paul's saying, I can get through. I can do all things. I can handle this. I can go through the loss of, of these things. I can get through. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, there certainly is a principle that we can apply to other things there for sure, but never forget the context is important. And so he says, I, I've learned to be content in whatever situation. Do you know before that, you know what he says? I know what it's like to go without food, famine. I know what it's like to, to be without clothing. I know what it's like to go without shelter over my head. I know what it's like to float in the ocean. I know what it's like to be, uh, to be beat within an inch of my life, but, it, but I've, learned, I've learned to be content in whatever place I am. Wow. You, you don't hear that preached, right? Because that just goes against this silly notion that if you are in Christ, you will never have to battle the things or, or the loss of things or the issues that come in life. The difference is between us and between those who don't know Christ is that we have an advocate before the Father. We have somebody that loves us who can separate us from the love of God that is uh, in Christ Jesus for us. So the difference is Paul says, look, these are discouraging things, but they can't separate us from the love of Christ. They can't take that away from David spoke about his discouragement in Psalm 42. You know what he said? He said, deep calls to deep. Listen to this. He says, at the, listen, at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. What he was saying is, I'm literally being overwhelmed by my circumstances. He's saying, the waves just keep breaking over me. I can't get a break. They just keep hitting me, wave after wave after wave. God keeps hitting me. You ever feel like that? Like, when am I going to get a break? Or when's it going to, to let up? Or, or just when I was getting on my feet, another blow knocked me back down. Have you, have you ever been there? Maybe you're there. When this happens, we get discouraged. We, we fall into despair, maybe even depression. We lose heart, and we begin to believe that we will never get through or we will never 
survive. But again, I, I refer you to what Jesus said. In this world you will have tribulation. But I didn't finish that. Jesus says in this world it's going to be tough. But then he says, but be of good cheer. Really? Oh, well, I'm, yeah, I'm just getting battered. Praise God. Be of good cheer. Let me finish the rest of it. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. You said, but in the, in the moment, it doesn't feel like it. Don't live for the moment. Live according to the promise. By faith, say, yeah, but I know this is not where the story ends. This is not where it ends. You know, Alice and I, we were out, um, we were out eating together um, this past week and one night, uh, and we got to talking about the journey. You heard Chase mention we always, you know, for 21 years I've talked to you about this journey God has you, and God does have all of us on journey. And we're talking about, I don't know how we got on it, but we're talking about when we first got married, we moved to Texas, uh, we, we didn't have much of anything. We literally moved into uh, a, a ghetto area. We rented a house in a ghetto area, and, um, and we had, um, this is when gun violence was not an issue. Uh, and so guns were going off all the time. We really didn't, you know, and we, we had, look, we, we didn't have any real furniture. My older sister had given us a sofa that she and her husband had, and, um, and I know why she gave it to us, and she watches this broadcast a lot, and so, Linda, I know why you gave it to us. Uh, it, all the cushions were busted open, and it was the kind of thing that when you sat down in and you got back up, you had a new wardrobe look because you had fuzzballs stuck all over you. You, know, you ever had that, sat down on a cushion, got up, and, you know, that's the kind of what, but we didn't care. Uh, but we did have something cool. Uh, we had... This, this little house now in the ghetto, and we had uh, designer draperies custom-made for our home. Designer comforter for our bed. I mean, big time. They came in. They brought a whole team in to our little house there, and they measured all the windows, and they, big ladies, you probably know cornice board things and all of this stuff. I mean, it was fancy for this little house it was incredible and there's a reason for that because the church I served at the man there was a man and he he uh, his company at the time was considered one of the top one or two companies in the world for manufacturing draperies and associated items for the major hotels of the world the Hiltons and the Hyatts and all of this all over the world and so it just so happened that he was a member of my church but it just so happened that my wife was his secretary so they came in with this team, and we had these. And by the way, we moved. When we left Texas, we came to Dothan for the first time, and we moved those and put them up in the house we had here. We had these great, but we didn't have much of anything else. But my wife says, she, again, she said, oh, night, she said, but we didn't know how poor we were. We were on the poverty line. I mean that. At the end of the month, if we had $7 left, because that's how much it was, <clears throat> my wife would say, do we have $7? Because if I said, yes. It meant we could get a deep dish pizza at Pizza Hut. That was our monthly treat. Yes! And we ate it real slow. <laughs> but we didn't know. But we look back, and here's why I tell you that. We look back now, and we see 
where we are, and we're talking about all these stories we have. We have all these stories where we didn't know how we were going to get through. We didn't know what, you know, and, but we look back and say, remember there, remember there, remember there, and God, God was taking us through. Here's what I, why I'm saying that to you, is you get down here and you need to be able to look back and see that God was faithful to you so that these things don't undermine your relationship and your trust in God for tomorrow. Because if he brought us through that and he brought us through that and he took care of us there and he took care of us there and he's taking care of us here, here's what I know. He's going to take care of us down here. Right? So look back. Now, don't, don't, look, look we also said we were laughing. We we're telling these stories to each other. I said, but I don't want to go back. I thank God for what he taught us. Learn from it, but don't try to live back there. You've got to live right here so you can live right here down the road. But then, but watch, if he were faithful there, he will be faithful down here. So you think, man, when's it going to let up? You walk with God. There is tribulation in this world. This world is broken. Our bodies are broken. And Jesus said, the fact is, this world's going to beat you up. So when that happens and your circumstances overwhelm you and discourage you, Here, listen, make sure you put your eyes on the God that has brought you through the past. Put your eyes on Him when you're discouraged and depressed and you say, how can we go forward? I don't know, but I know this. I never understood how I was going to go forward from back there. I trusted God, and here I am. Here I stand, and I, he will take me on where he has. I mean, that's what we have to remember. Martin Luther, the reformer, you know, Martin Luther, we consider the father of the Reformation, was so depressed, he, he battled it. He was so depressed over, uh, over this prolonged period of time that one day <laughs> Martin Luther's wife came downstairs wearing all black. And when Martin Luther saw her, he said, who died? And she said, God died. And Martin Luther said, God hasn't died. And she said back to him, well then start acting like he is alive and start believing like he still lives. You see, the circumstances of life can be so overwhelming and they can bring us great discouragement, but we have to have the right perspective. Do you know the same man who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, who suffered greatly for the gospel, who understood what it was like to go through all these things, also gives us perspective in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to what he says. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you understand what he's saying? He said, you've got to get perspective. He said, this stuff is all passing away. It's transit. It's going to pass away. So you've got to get your eyes off of that. He says, for this light momentary affliction is working us toward a greater glory. Perspective. Okay, it's bad. I'm discouraged. Get your eyes up. Get your eyes on him, not out there. That'll discourage you. 
Put your eyes on him. That's why Paul tells us to set our minds on things above. It's why, he, uh, why the writer of Hebrews gives us Hebrews 11, the, chapter, uh, the, the Hall of Fame of Faith. And at the end of that chapter, he talks about the others. We don't even know their names, but by faith, they persevered. They lost their lives in many cases. Why? Because this is light, temporary, momentary affliction. Now, I know, I know, and when you're undergoing it, it doesn't feel light, and it doesn't feel momentary. It feels like this is going to go on forever. But here's what we have to do. We have to get perspective. And, and our perspective, this isn't going to last forever. It's not. And one day, it's going to all have been worth it. That's what he's saying right there, perspective. Well, let me finish up. The last Category is separation, verse 35. Who shall separate us? He says this two or three times. Look, and I equate this to one of the great culprits of depression and discouragement, and that is loneliness. And he knew that. They were feeling lonely. They were feeling lonely as believers because they were fledgling. They were struggling. But usually if you're lonely as a group, you're lonely as individuals. And Paul is addressing this, uh, this fear of being isolated and being left alone. The word separate here literally means to create distance between, to isolate from others. It's a relational expression. It's a relational kind of loneliness. It's to be removed from all the blessings uh, of being in a relationship, uh, love and care and compassion and companionship and security. We need relationships Relationships are are, are vital to us. We are designed for relationships. But God is the most significant relationship of all. There is a hole in our soul that only God can fill. And Paul's trying to help them. If everybody else deserts you. And Paul understood the sting of desertion. He talked about that. He says, at my last defense, nobody stood with me. So he understands this. But but listen, uh, what he's saying to them is, put your eyes on God. And that God will never, God will never forsake you. Did you get that? He's saying, he's, there's nothing, all of these things, he said, none of them can separate you. And he re- reaffirms that uh, in verses 37 and following. He says, I'm sure neither death nor life nor angels, rulers, things, powers and be. None of these things can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And by the way, that's one of the reason the gather, reasons the gathered church is so important to us. I thank God we have, we have incredible technology, and I think God knew what was coming, you know, and how important that was going to be because we began working on that stuff several years before, before we realized how significant it was going to be. And so we were kind of ready in a weird way, and we have these great, uh, this great team of tech people uh, that help us so much, and I love it. I'm all for it. Uh, So I want you to know that. And and there are a lot of reasons people can't attend. I I get that too. I had a lady come up to me at a restaurant this week and she said, uh, she said, you're the, are you the preacher on television? And I I never know how to understand that. I I, I mean, how to, to, to respond to that because, because she might not be saying it in a good way. Are you the preacher? But I said, well, I'm one of them. And she said, could I ask you to pray for me? for some things for me. I said, absolutely, I'd be honored. She, in a few minutes, she brought back a little a slip of paper with some things that she wanted to pray for. I thank God that we do that. I, I think that's because of technology. She says, I have to work on Sunday, so I can't go to church. But she said, I, I watch you guys every week. I, I thank God for that. But listen, 
And there are reasons. Some people's health keeps them. I, I, I get all of that. So I'm not fussing about that. I don't want you to hear me. I'm not fussing. But the Bible calls the church the gathering. Did you know that? The Greek word means to gather, physically gather, the ekklesia, the assembly, to come together. It's one of the reasons we need this. We, I'm not fussing at you. You're here. But it's one of the reasons we need it. We need relationships. This is where I'm going with this. We need relationships. By the way, studies now, and they look like they're accurate, uh, are telling us that a third of the people that left our churches uh, at the outset of COVID will never return. And that pro- that's starting to look like it's true. But listen, we need, we're designed for relationships, interaction. And you can't get that. You can't get that any other way than through the gathering place, right? And so here's what it does. It gives us relationships with one another, and that's horizontal, and then vertical with God. So when you gather as the people of God, you're gathering with others, and you're, you're gathering in the presence of the Lord. The devil wants to isolate us. He wants to isolate us. Because if he can isolate you, he can destroy you. You know, one of the reasons they said that um, that depression is so high in young adults and in children is because of the isolation they've been undergoing for the past couple of years. I'm, you can argue, should that or, or, or should that not be? I, that's not even my point. My point is, when you get isolated, you're vulnerable. I watched a, um, I'm almost done. Y'all just thank y'all for hanging in. See, now you know why I just preach one point. There's just too much in this for me to deliver. And so that's why we'll continue this. But uh, I watched recently a program on one of the animal program things, and it showed um, a pack of hyenas that found a gazelle that had got separated from the herd. I think it's a herd that gazelles run in and got separated from the herd. The other gazelles were way over there, but it showed this one gazelle, and these hyenas had circled it. And, man, they're attacking this thing. Some are biting its, its, its uh, legs and heels, and it's trying to stay up, and it can't. It's going down. It gets back up. It's trying to kick, but they're attacking strategically. Some are attacking the neck. Some even jump up on the back of this gazelle, and the gazelle keeps stumbling and going down, and then it gets back up, and then they just keep their assault going. And then they, they uh, it's, I mean, they, some of them attack the stomach. They tear its stomach open. It's still alive. They are eating it alive. And it was so gruesome, I had to turn it off. I thought, I can't watch it. I know this is nature. This is, you know, the circle of life and everything. But I want to tell you, in the moment, I wasn't thinking circle of life. I was thinking, I wish I had a gun. I'd take out those hyenas. Because it was gruesome the way it was going on, but it all had, and by the way, the other, the other gazelles are way over here. They're way over here, and um, you know, I, you can't help but think if the other gazelles would just go, let's go help him. Those hyenas wouldn't have been a match for that herd of gazelle, but they stayed over here. I don't know what they're thinking. Maybe they're thinking, oh, look at Ralph. They may have been thinking, I'm glad that's not me. They didn't do anything. There are a lot of lessons there, one of which is why you need the church. We're the herd, or the flock is a more appropriate biblical term. All right? But the bigger lesson I want to give you is this. When that gazelle got isolated, 
it was over. When that gazelle got isolated, it was over. What does the devil like to do? He likes to isolate us. Loneliness. Because he can take us down. Get us in uh, despair and discouragement and depression. You know why? Because there's a hole in you that only God can fill. Only God can fill it. Well, I need to, I need to, I need to stop. Friend, God knows how difficult it can be when the devil takes us down a tunnel. But here's the good news. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are beaten down, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Go back to the statement. There are two rhetorical questions asked in this passage. One of them was, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And, and implied in that question is nothing. No one or nothing. The demons of hell can't. The circumstances of life can't. As long as you understand that i got to keep my eyes on Jesus. Now, there are plenty of practical things to do, and we'll touch on some of those and messages yet to come. But the ultimate cure, the ultimate cure for loneliness and discouragement is God. No other relationship, nothing in the world can satisfy that hole but God. The ultimate cure for discouragement is God. But today, and I close with this, it's enough to say, not here are 15 things to go do, but to say, get close to Jesus. Start there. Start there. If you'll get close to Him, you'll have somebody with you as you battle through. And it is a battle as you battle through discouragement, despair, depression. Would you pray with me? Father, it is a war. And uh, Lord, we pray that you'll help us to keep our eyes on you. Start there. Do what others uh, can tell us, the doctors can tell us, and all of those kinds of things. God, we thank you for that. But Lord, help us to get near you. There are some who are listening to this broadcast, some in this live room, and you need to start with Jesus. It's enough to begin there, and you can do that by calling on Him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on Him right now. If you've never trusted Him as your Savior, say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me and dying for me. All of my sin, I thank you for that. I invite you to come into my life and be my Savior now. Father, thank you for hearing this prayer. Some of you say, you know what, I've gotten my eyes off of him, and man, the devil's beating me up, or I'm in a dark, uh, dark place or a tunnel, and I don't see any light right now. Why don't you call on him and say, I'm your child, Father. Help me to put my eyes, to look up.
to look up at you and, and Father, to, to believe what I believe and to walk toward that belief instead of living by my feelings. And Father, I pray that you'll be the power of the Spirit of God to help these. Father, and to help those who've been there or who will be there. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me before we're gone? An invitation. The invitation is for you to respond. And maybe you called on him in that prayer. If you're watching by live stream, there will be instructions on what you can do. You've made a decision in your heart uh, this morning. I want to invite you to slip out from the balcony of this ground floor. I'll be here. Staff will be here. Would you come and say, this is a decision I've made. Maybe this morning you say, Pastor, I need, I, I need to pray about some things or pray for someone or decision. Come, use the altar. Maybe, maybe you say, I need a church. I'm coming to join Ridgecrest. I need a home. We're not, he- uh, we're not uh, uh, perfect, but we are healthy. And I'm not a perfect pastor, but, but um, uh, you're not perfect people. So it'd be a great fit. So come and connect with us. Are you ready? As Bradley leads us, you come on right now.